This podcast was recorded pre-lockdown. I wanted to share these episodes with you as they are still great conversations with great people about great times that will come back again. Hi, and welcome to Series 2 of the Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast. Every week we will talk to the great, the good, and the legendary from the worlds of food, drink, marketing, and business to help give you the advice that will really help your brand boom. A huge thanks to our headline sponsors, the award-winning Engage Interactive, who've been helping hospitality businesses like yours prepare for a mobile and digital-first world since 2007. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. So I'm holed up in Soho Radio today and running through some sessions. I've got a real star today, and it's Mr. Alex Riley, who's the chairman of Loungers and also Cozy Club. I was really chuffed that Alex agreed to be on the podcast. I know he doesn't do a lot of these things, and he's just such a masterclass of starting from not much at all in terms of some hospitality experience in the ops side of things, taking a chance and putting everything on the line to launch Lounge, as it was then, in Bristol, and then grow it to being 165 different independent feeling outlets. Alex and the team have really sort of carved out what all-day casual dining could be, and also some more formal, premium-natured businesses as well in terms of Cozy Club. It's really incredible talking to Alex. It's so hard from the outside to try and figure out how these people do it, how they grow great businesses with great people, quality products, and also that there's a whole world of business outside of There's a whole world of business outside of the M25. We can be blinkered sometimes that London is everything, but Alex and all of his team have proved that the UK has a lot of love to give to the right offer in the right place at the right time for the right value. So it gives me the most king of casual pleasure ever to introduce the chairman of the board, Mr. Alex Riley. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks so much for seeing me and uh, and making the time. You know, definitely an, an, an A-lister um, in terms of guests. And also, you're just back from Soho Farmhouse this morning. Indeed, yeah, it was a bit of a late one. We had a... Uh, <laughs> We we got our sort of senior operators together for a bit of a bit of a shindig. Um, Very good. Talking a bit of strategy and 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 thanking them actually. It's, it was been particularly last year was a hell of a year for the mm. business and we 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 achieved a lot, but obviously uh, everyone had to work a bit harder to make it happen. So yeah. it was uh, it was good. A lot of hugging. Uh, All right. At one one thirty two o'clock this morning. So. <laughs> You're Which is good, it's got to be a good thing, yeah. I love you. Um, well, I guess for anyone that doesn't know loungers, and you know we're going to talk a lot about that and other stuff as well, it's kind of the quiet giant of you know the, the casual dining scene where everyone is looking across at it going, how the fuck, <laughs> how, did, how did this <laughs> Where did they happen? come from? Yeah, how yeah. did it happen? <laughs> and, and also predominantly outside of London, which yeah. puzzles people inside London even more you know that there's there's business to be had outside of the M25 so if we go back like where did it all start what was the idea what happened 
Um, so the business started in 2002, um, and effectively, the three of us that co-founded it, Jake's my best friend from school. Um, we, we both hailed from Leicester, and we, we moved down to Bristol in the mid-90s, and mm-hmm. we met Dave, who was the other uh, member of the trio, um, uh, working in restaurants. So all three of us sort of effectively um, sort of dodged university and decided that restaurants was the career we wanted to go into, and, and you know, we were good at it. Yeah. And, and like you do when you're sort of young and... Um, you're working at the ladder of a restaurant group or any organization, you know, you, you often wonder what it'd be like if you had your own place. Yeah. And so lots of sort of very late night drunken conversations in nightclubs and bars um, when we had what little time off we did have. Yeah. Um, and we talked all about what we would like to do. And then sort of late 90s, Dave went off and traveled for 18 months and, and spent a lot of time in Australia and New Zealand. Okay. And um, in 2001, he sort of, arrived back and sort of said, I've come back because I want to open somewhere and I want you guys to be involved. And at the time, Jake and I both had really good jobs. Um, you know, I was an, an ops manager of a, a small restaurant group in Bristol mm-hmm. and um, it was pretty well paid and I just bought my first house. And What's the problem? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was sort of like, do I really want to, you know, sort of uh, chuck it all in? And But Dave was sort of like, look, you know, I'll, I'll run it. You know, you guys invest and, you know, we'll, we'll just, you know, we'll have board meetings, I. Yeah. <laughs> a few pints down the pub and we'll chat about what we're doing and the intention really was to i guess implement the ideas and uh and, and the sort of the the things we talked about mm-hmm. um, um many times before and provide something which we felt was missing in bristol which was um something that was all day dave came back you know talking about what he's seen on australia and new zealand and was very inspired by the the sort of very very sort of seamless sort of way that all day cafe bars operate over there um there's just a rolling customer base and i think the the interesting thing that we married up was ironically what we'd seen in leicester which was uh when jake and i'd left leicester we were living in a in a in a suburb where a friend of ours said he was going to open a bar and we were sort of like really yeah you sure? um, a bar on Arbor road it was sort of it was very strange and and he he, he went ahead and, and then sure enough within two or three years there were there were over a dozen similar t- types of operations yeah. And the whole, you know, the whole road suddenly became a, a, a bit of its own pitch. And so we sort of married up the all day concept with a suburban idea and, and, and opened our first, um, our first cafe bar called just simply called lounge, um, on North street in Bedminster, which mm-hmm. was at the time a very up and coming suburb, should we say yeah. it was, uh, lots of young professionals moving in. I was one of them. So the site we opened was actually at the end of my street. Um, okay. and, um, yeah, we opened the doors, you know, 10 tables, 450 square foot of trading, no money left in the bank, um, <laughs> no contingency for failure. Yeah. Um, and thankfully, it was what we thought was missing in Bristol. Clearly, lots of people shared that opinion and, yeah. and view. But I think the nicest thing for us uh, was whilst we had probably been eyeballing the, you know, the young professional, um, I guess, market, mm-hmm. um, it was actually clear fairly early on that, that people that could say, oh, my family's lived in Bedminster for three generations, were were using it in equal measure. And we suddenly realized that actually it appealed to a very broad section of society. um, And it was very democratic in terms of the way that people used it. There was no dominant sort of demographic or, I guess, sort of social profile of person. Um, That brings a marketer out in a rash. Like, we don't know what to do if yeah. there's no... <laughs> yeah. says for everyone, you're like, uh, what? Yeah, and, it, and it's really interesting, you know, like you said, a lot of people don't know um, much about the business, particularly those that are very London-centric, mm-hmm. and 
you know, when you're explaining uh, what a lounge is to people, you know, you really have to sort of see it in the flesh to understand it because, you know, we'll say, you know, you, you'll go in on, on any given morning and you'll see mums with uh, with their newborns, you'll see builders having breakfast, you'll see business people having a, having a meeting, um, you'll see, you know, old, young, um, every, and everybody in between. And, and it, it sounds... You know, people go, well, yeah, whatever. And, but actually, you know, you do genuinely, genuinely see yeah. it when you go into a lounge, and it's, um, you know, it, it's uh, it's something which I guess we we never really intentionally set out to create that kind of business, and we never certainly ever dreamt of of, of having a business that's got 165 sites as we have now. It's 165. Yeah, it? Jesus. Um, you know, I think we talked very optimistically about you know if it was successful, maybe we'd do another one or two in Bristol. But um, as we grew the business and and um, we got very addicted to the, the growing of the business. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Eventually, it got too busy just for Dave to run it, so I quit my job, and then Jake quit his job, and we by 2008, we were all three of us in the business. And was that still sites one, two, three year round that time, or how many sites were there at that so point? So we, we opened our second site uh, within actually within 10 months of having opened our first, right. um, which was a bit of a... Uh, it was just a bit of a sort of um, unique opportunity that presented itself, and that site was bigger... Mm-hmm. Um, and it being bigger, we realised it paid dividends, and, and obviously, consequently, it, it, its turnover was higher, and it, it made more profit. And and then we opened effectively a site a year until we got to two thousand and seven, when we sort of wondered with our five sites in Bristol whether this was just a Bristol thing or whether yeah. we could take it out of Bristol. And in 07 we opened uh, two sites for the first time in a year, and we opened uh, in Bath, which is not a huge giant leap um, yeah. for, for a Bristol-based business. And we opened in Cardiff, mm-hmm. which felt like a bit of a right. This is really properly testing the waters, and, yeah. and thankfully they were both successful. Um, and then in 08 we we opened uh, a couple more sites in South Wales. We opened another Cardiff one, and we opened in Penarth. And then obviously the recession hit, which was yeah. um, interesting times. Yeah. And how did that affect you though? Because I guess. Good quality value, you know, nothing too hoity-toity, all that. Was that a, a plus for you? Yeah, I think um, it, it all sounds rather clever, but we did. We actually talked about recession mm-hmm. back in 2002. Oh, you did? Yeah, and, and I think we kept that very much on the table. Mm-hmm. You know, we, there was, you may recall in the sort of, you know, around 2004, 2005, there was, you know, the economy was booming. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw lots of our casual dining peers you know, just very effortlessly put a pound on a burger and 50p on a pint. And, and the, the the consumer was very elastic to it. They, they weren't phased. Mm. We very much deliberately held our prices um, and ensured that we, uh, you know, that we represented really good value for money. Mm-hmm. Because as we know, recessions do have, you know, a rather irritating historical habit of coming around on, in cycles. And, and I think when when the recession hit, it was it was a strange year because we, we'd agreed... Uh, uh, terms with Piper Private Equity to oh, invest yeah. in the business in 08. And we were very, you know, sort of immature and ill-formed and, you know, we didn't probably, we've been guilty of not taking the business seriously enough. Mm-hmm. So actually we had a bit of a sort of, I guess, a masterclass spending the summer speaking to them about, you know, what we needed to do and it was very evident we needed to do an awful lot. And there was concern about food inflation and then, of course, yeah. September 08, suddenly... Uh, you know, every, the whole world fell, fell apart, and suddenly you're wondering whether actually the bank that you that you, you bank with is still going to be in existence tomorrow. Yeah. Um, unsurprisingly, the private equity deal uh, f- fell over because clearly, you know, nobody knew what was happening. Right. Um, so, you know, we got to the end of 2008, and having effectively 
had a broken private equity process, we were deep in recession, we realised that actually there was an awful lot about the business which we needed to improve, mm-hmm. and there was an awful lot we, 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 we could get our teeth stuck into. And whilst it's a really weird word to use, it's very exciting. Yeah. Um, because we realised that actually, um, whilst a lot of the, pretty much all of the casual dining operators were, were frantically discounting and trying to drive footfall through um, offering two-for-ones and, yeah. and enormous discounts. It's like a drug, wasn't it? Yeah. People, people automatically saw us as being good value for money. Yeah. So whilst we had probably a quarter or so of um, you know, relatively sort of flat, slightly negative light-for-light sales, we believed firmly that the business would, would be very, um, would very strong whilst the economic um, climate was obviously very poor. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, it, it meant that there was more opportunity. There was more opportunity for sites. The, mm-hmm. the labour pool for probably the only time in my memory had some really good people in it yeah. um, who'd lost their job through no fault of their own as businesses folded. And, you know, we were really excited about what we needed to do to, you know, professionalise the business. Yep. So we, we, we had an 18-month plan, and it was really intensive in terms of we looked at everything that we did, mm-hmm. you know, food, drink, cruets, cutlery, you know, marketing, branding, the whole shooting match. Mm-hmm. Um, we recruited some good people uh, who, uh, you know, who are still with us now. Um, who've been on the journey um, um, from you know very early stages, mm-hmm. and um, you know we, we we got busy and we we bagged some really really good sites. Yeah. Um, so oh nine we opened in um, Caversham and we opened in um, Portswood in Southampton. Yeah. But then in two thousand and ten we opened five sites. Um, um, we launched the Cozy Club, which was one of those. Yeah. Um, and and so actually by the time we came out of the other side. And by the time we ended up having conversations with Piper again in, in late 2011, we'd, we'd over doubled the size of the business in those recessionary years. Yeah. Um, and, and it, you know, it, it felt as if we were winning, you know, and it, but it felt because we had been, I think, very disciplined yeah. uh, when we could have just, you know, very much sort of thrown caution to the wind and sort of said, people will, will, will stomach price increases. Let's just, you know, make an extra, you know, an extra pound here and there. Yeah. I think we, 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 you know, the decision we made was clearly very sensible and it, and it was, you know, very much the springboard of the business's uh, success, certainly in terms of growth. Yeah. I think it's like such an interesting point. There's a couple of really good videos online. Um, there's a guy called John Taffer, who's like this really over-the-top American sort of restaurants guy. And he says, you know, great brands don't discount. Yeah. You know, um, people get addicted to discount. They don't get addicted to the odd free thing. Yeah. Um, which is quite a nice way. And I also remember being at Witherspoon's head office. And I think it said something like, there was a kind of always great value message. But they also said something like, buy it as cheap as you can, but tell the truth. Sort of, there was yeah. something in that as well, you know. But how did you manage to operate at that level? You know, was it being really good on costs or was it you just took less of a margin than maybe others might have yeah i think it was a bit of both Mm -hmm. um obviously as the business scaled um our buying power obviously improved but uh, i think critically we'd always we had a business model that worked on us making a gross profit margin which was which was distinctly lower than than you know certainly your pizza pasta operators yeah and you know as part of the success of that was also our discipline around uh, levels of rent so Mm -hmm. The business today still has a, uh, a percentage of revenue rent that is sub six percent, which mm-hmm. is which is extremely rare in our sector. 
And we've always been very disciplined around rent because clearly uh, once you agree a deal on rent, you're sort of locked in. Yeah. And um, it's the last opportunity you really have to, uh, I guess, impact your, you know, your fixed cost base. Mm -hmm. So we took, you know, secondary sites. We took, uh, we we're obviously initially in the early days, very suburban focus where, you know, property was, was more affordable. Yeah. Um, you know, we probably uh, looked at opportunities which we turned down on the basis of the fact that we felt the rent was, was too punchy and yeah. we weren't willing to set the risk. So there's a degree of us being a little bit risk averse, but yeah. I think, you know, that model in terms of, you know, having a discipline around your fixed cost base and having clearly a concept that, that, that you know, it's all the day parts, you know, it's breakfast, mm -hmm. lunch and dinner and all the shoulder periods. So you've you've constantly got money ringing through the tills and it means that you know you're able to generate significant levels of sales from mm -hmm. relatively small space um but don't necessarily you know take the piss on margin and and that that i think was the 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 model was always that way and the way it was it was you know it was perceived and and the way we thought about it conceptually mm -hmm. it was you know you you buy you buy something that's a that's a as, as cheap a price as you can get um without compromising quality yeah. But you, you know, you almost you, you you want to pass as much of that on to the customer as possible because they will repay you with their loyalty. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. The Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast is also brought to you by BDO, the trusted accountancy and advisory firm. As the finance experts in hospitality, BDO have the experience and the insight to provide solid foundations for your business's future growth. BDO really are the go-to team to help your hospitality business succeed. If you're in need of a dedicated transactional team bolstered with corporate finance, audit and tax services, talk to BDO, who've got the right expertise, knowledge and experience to drive your restaurant or bars business throughout their full life cycle. As thought leaders across the sector, BDO offers commercial and technical updates specifically tailored to restaurants and bars, including their annual hospitality reports. BDO also have a well-established network in the industry that spans across finance directors, suppliers and advisors, and they are always willing to use this to their clients and their contacts' advantage. Get in touch today at bdo.co.uk to chat about how they can help take your hospitality business to the top. And please say that I sent you. What's the sort of magic dust then? I know it's hard to describe, but say there's you on a high street or wherever you are, and there's a pub just down the road, which is maybe open all day. Why are you full and the pub maybe isn't? I think there's a, there's a few factors, actually. Yeah. I think first and foremost, we do uh, predominantly, I mean, 90% 90, 90 probably of our opportunities are change of use. So we mm. take on... Um, an old shop or an old building society um, we change the use of that building and obviously um, open a cafe bar and, and clearly it's got you know we've got very open frontages they're very glazed they're very accessible yeah so people can see in they can see what they're going to get themselves involved in mm -hmm. um, you know 64% of our customers are women right. um, in, in the lounges and actually uh, fairly similar percentages in the cozy clubs you know, you see women eating on their own, which is, I think, a real, you know, testimony to how clearly people, you know, because women use words like safe, you know, they want to feel yeah. um, they're not going to, you know, have some leery old man sort of coming yeah. over to them and, and hassling them. And I think the issue that pubs have is, 
they're often beautiful buildings but with very closed frontages so you can't really see in they often have access accessibility issues you know mm. you 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 you're getting a push chair and there's a bit of a bit of a True. demand um and i still think as much as we love the, the british pub the idea of going to a pub in the morning just feels slightly naughty. There's a stigma, isn't there? It a is. little bit, yeah. And even going there for lunch, you know, yeah. it, if you see, you know, a couple of people, uh, you know, coming out of a pub at lunch, you automatically assume that they've been on the beers. Yeah. <laughs> and then at what time did you think that it was getting a bit real? I mean, I know it was super real from day one because you'd, you know, invested all your money and everything. But, you know, things like branding, culture stuff, proper meetings you know was that was there a number of sites where it was like oh right we need to get all this sorted out or did it just happen yeah it's interesting i mean there, there were there were obvious step changes they they weren't necessarily particularly obvious at the time mm. it's only when you have the benefit of hindsight um i think for for me it, it suddenly felt real um and in terms of what it could potentially become and you suddenly realize how special it felt um, when we had our first star festival, right? So we used to do the sort of stereotypical catering Christmas party in January. Everyone would go to a restaurant, yeah. um, drink their body weight in wine, go to a nightclub, um, and have to function the next day. It, it, exactly, <laughs> and and we got, obviously got to a size where we couldn't accommodate that in in a single venue. Yeah. So we had uh, we had two staff parties, and they were sort of split regionally. And we sat in the second one. And it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel us. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, there, there was a conversation that started up around the table that was very sort of tongue-in-cheek about, oh, well, we should, we should just have a festival. That's what we should do. And I always remember about sort of a couple of months later, Jake, um, who was ops director at the time, sort of said, I think we could do this, you know. He said, I've been having some conversations with um, Orchard Pig, who um, uh, who are still a brand that we use. Yep. And, and they owned... Uh, obviously, their 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 orchards are in down in Glastonbury, and um, they had a, a spare field, and they were willing to let us use the field. And they had somebody that they had used before with regards to event organising. So we had our first uh, lounge fest. I think it was seven seven possibly eight years ago, and um, you know we were we were sort of probably three hundred and fifty four hundred people. Wow! And we closed all the you know we closed all the bars for the day bust everybody into this field in Glastonbury and, and, you know, put on free food, free drink, lots of entertainment, yep. and lots of DJs, lots of sort of fun. And um, I remember just sort of standing there thinking, God, we employ a load of people. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and what's more, they were all very like-minded. They were all sort of, uh, you know, they were all very culturally similar. Mm -hmm. And um, it suddenly felt like we had, we were really onto something. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that, that, Star Festival now, which is you know now more like three and a half thousand people, um, is the highlight of the year because yeah. it's um, you know it it, it it but it is slightly mental when you stood there just thinking every single person in this field works for loungers yeah yeah and and had we not had our little idea in the first place and had we not perhaps made some of the brave decisions that we that we did in recession and so on and so forth this these people wouldn't be here today they wouldn't know each other people wouldn't have met each other people wouldn't have married each other yeah you know and you, you suddenly realize that you know we, we clearly um are very proud of the success of the business mm -hmm. you know from a financial perspective but that gives me personally and i think all of our teams the most immense amount of pride yeah you know we we exist to bring people together you know and that's that 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 is either in a in a 
work colleague capacity or a customer capacity. And I think when you realise the positive effect you can have on, on a high street and the positive effect you can have on the people that live locally, mm-hmm. it's hugely rewarding. Yeah. You know, so when I'm you know, on my deathbed and sort of everything's going through my mind about you know, all the things that have been that have coloured my life and has made my life wonderful, that will be one of the things that I'll, I'll sort of hold very dear is, is the contribution I think we've, we've made and we continue to make to you know, what are you know, fairly um, you know, sort of talk down high streets in, in the yeah. UK. Um, which is, you know, I guess one of the reasons why we've had so much success in, in, in the provinces, should we say. Well, God, there's a lot out of that we could talk about. I mean, I think the first thing is Charlie McVeigh's ringing in my ear um, at the moment. And he told, I don't know if you listened to the, the yeah. Charlie one we did, but he told a lovely story about you and Leicester. Yeah. Um, with that beautiful building, I think it was. And, yeah. the, you know, the lady saying to you, don't don't shut down kind of thing yeah there, there is almost a we, we, we still have it there's, there's a almost a sort of paranoia mm. which which drives uh, fierce loyalty <laughs> um, because a lot of people uh, certainly in the early days would, would, would sort of say why are you opening there there's nothing else there yeah and it's sort of, well you sort of just answered your own question um, you know and a lot of people I think felt that we you know the reason we weren't in london and the reason we were looking at secondary opportunities was because we were some somehow afraid of competition that's never been the case Mm -hmm. you know we're a fiercely competitive business and we believe we 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 stand up against any brand and win Mm -hmm. um but there's also a bit of you know there's a bit of sort of intelligence to thinking well you know you go to a a small town with twenty thousand people yeah um, where there might be a Costa, they, they, well, there probably will be a Costa, there might be a Pizza Express, there'll be a couple of local pubs, and that's probably about the extent of what they have mm-hmm. as, a, as an offer on their high street. Um, and you open a lounge, and sometimes it feels like a UFO's landed from space. Okay. And, and these people are just can't believe it. They're, they're, yeah. they're just, they're astonished. Um, and, you know, that, that to me is, you know, there are so many small towns and so many suburbs in, in the UK mm-hmm we can just fill our boots doing that for, for, you know, the next decade. Yeah. There's, I mean, is there a magic number in mind or it's just a keep going? Um, they, they, they sort of, uh, I guess the, the so-called experts of, of the property world, mm-hmm. um, who have looked at the business over, over the years, we've gone through obviously two private equity transactions. So there was a lot of commercial DD done on the business. Yeah. There's a, cons- you know, there's, there's what we consider to be a fairly conservative list of 400 locations mm-hmm. in the UK for a lounge and about a hundred for, for a cozy. Now, we think the lounge number, like I say, is conservative, but it's also, it's very difficult to try and identify any kind of algorithm that exists within our property property strategy, yeah. because we will open sites um, in certain locations where you just don't know. Yeah. You know, you've got nothing necessarily to give you any comfort because there isn't a competitor or another operator on the high street mm-hmm. that you can look at and see what kind of levels of business they're doing. Yeah. Um, so sometimes you open and um, you might be sort of fairly sort of surprised at, at the fact it's not as busy as you thought it might be. Other times you might just go, well, it does exactly what we thought it would do. But a lot of the time it just smashes it to a level where you just sort of can't really get your head round. So, I mean, our top 10 performing lounge sites would make no sense to anybody. Yeah. They'd just be terrified of it. Well, that you'd look at it and go, I just don't understand that. Yeah. You know, why Why is your site in Hinkley in Leicestershire, one yeah. of the top 10 performing lounge sites in the UK? Um, and we, we don't know. Yeah. You know, we, we would like to know. Um, but it was... <laughs> Probably I mean, best not to know. Yeah. Just keep going. <laughs> I mean, we, 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 the, when, we, when we did the deal with Lion, 
they invested in late 2016, we um, we had this massive list producing thing. It had 613 locations mm-hmm. on it. And, of course, the first thing you do is look at the f- front page and, you know, as is always the case, it's sort of like Leicester Square and, yeah, and yeah, Covent yeah. Garden and places we're clearly not going to uh, ever open. And then you look at the the bottom, you know, the, what's at the bottom. And um, the very, very last location on this list, so 613th out of 613, uh, was Mumbles um, on the outskirts of Swansea. Yep. And um, that was the last one. Yeah. And we Whoa. looked at it and we were like, hmm, shit, we're opening in Mumbles in 10 days' time. <laughs> and according to this, it's going to be there's 612 better sites for us to be opening in the UK. Oh, no. And um, we opened at the beginning of December. And between Christmas and New Year, it had the busiest week any lounge has ever had wow. for sales. And is a top five performing lounge. So you just wrapped that up and so we were sort of thinking, well, yeah. do we turn the list on its head? <laughs> Good. Um, so it, it's a, you know it's it's a, it's a really interesting part of what we do, you know, because we're we're constantly having to make decisions that are that are much more, I think, driven by what our gut feel is, mm-hmm. and what we can actually see on a high street than data, because yeah. data is useful, but it's 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 it should never be the reason why you make a decision about something. And and too many are. I mean, they're a slave to the was it mosaic or icon or whatever, the, yeah, or Nielsen or whatever yeah. it is. You know, and no disrespect, but yeah, a lot of the time it's like sometimes you can just feel it. You, you know? I mean, you particularly see that the London operators when they come out. You know, they do. They go to Brighton. They go to Oxford. They go to Cambridge. Mm-hmm. Um, they go to Manchester. Uh, it, it's almost as if there's like a like a, a, a route map they have to follow. Yeah. Um, and. Um, you know, sometimes these places just aren't necessarily what they what they're cracked made up to be, and what the data tells you is not necessarily what what actually is the reality. Because one thing I've certainly found in 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 sort of the time that we've we've been growing the business and and getting to see a lot of the country, which is great I and mean, it's really mm-hmm. interesting, is that it's really weird how people are different from town to town. Yeah. Um, so some people uh, in Bournemouth, for example, Bournemouth is a really happy town. Right. Like everyone, I don't know, it's probably the coast and it's a bit yeah, sunnier yeah, yeah. down there, but everyone is just really happy and 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 um, and and full of joy and just grateful. Yeah. Um, and then you go to other locations and and everyone appears to be just collectively miserable. <laughs> Aberdeen. <laughs> uh, I haven't been to Aberdeen. I always, I always remember we opened in Caversham mm. um, and. Um, we, we had a really turbulent opening. It wasn't it wasn't great operationally, and what we had failed to realise is that our sort of um, you know sort of first come first served order at the bar yeah. model, which which had worked fairly seamlessly until we we got to Reading. Um, people in Reading just didn't understand. You know, they didn't know whether they were going to be seated or whether they, right. you know, whether it was table service. Because of course we we just assumed clearly wrongly. Yeah. Um, that people would just get how it worked, yeah. and, and I remember the first weekend, which was which was incredibly busy, but an absolute car crash operationally. And there was a local sort of uh, forum where literally people were posting, um, you know, scathing negative reviews oh, yeah. virtually every five minutes. And I remember chatting to the GM who uh, was from Cavisham, born and bred, and I sort of said, "What's the problem? You know, the people in Reading don't seem to get us." And she just sort of said, "She said people in Reading are joyless." <laughs> um, I've got nothing against Reading. Uh, yeah, you're still yeah. in Reading. Yeah, we're, no, we've, um, yeah, we've got, uh, we've got. Uh, so, 
our site in Caversham has been there now for 11 years and, and we've got a great site in Woodley which is uh, uh, on, on the outskirts of Reading mm-hmm. and we'd love to open a cosy club there but um, yeah, yeah. but it's really you know it's fascinating how people are different across the country Hi I'm Alex Rowan Gage and thanks for tuning in to the Supersonic Marketing Podcast Each week we'll be bringing you a great tip to supercharge your own digital marketing and this week's comes from James a head of paid search who shares his insight on Google search query reports. One of the most important but often overlooked parts of running a Google search campaign is to check which searches on Google have actually triggered your advert to appear. Under the keywords menu in Google Ads, there will be a section called search terms. Here you should see hundreds, maybe even thousands of searches that users have made and have matched against the keywords in your account. Sorting by impressions, highest to lowest, will help you optimize the searches which are having the biggest impact. There are a couple of key things to look out for in this report. First are searches which have lots of impressions but a low click-through rate, typically under 2%. Think about how relevant these are to your business and maybe add as negative keywords if they aren't. Second are searches which are performing particularly well with high conversion rates. You may want to split these out into separate campaigns or ad groups and give them additional budget. If you need help with your own paid advertising campaigns, then head over to engageinteractive.co.uk forward slash podcast where you can see how we've helped some of the UK's most ambitious and successful hospitality brands with theirs. Cheers, and enjoy the rest of the episode. So Cozy Club will come back to, yeah. but I'm interested in you as well in terms of how do you fill your days? What is the role of a CEO and chairman now and all these different things, you know? like How did that grow? And also a thing that just fascinates me is how did you know what to do? You know, going into the business, all of a sudden you're a property guy, you're an HR guy, you're a food guy, you're yeah. a drinks guy, you're a, you know, I mean, what what was that sort of personal? I mean, obviously the, the food and drink side was, was fairly natural. Mm-hmm. Um, having worked in restaurants, you know, my not just me, but all three of us, our, yeah. our entire working um, lives. You know, I remember when we, we we viewed our first sites, and it was um, you know you're with an agent, and you're sort of thinking, what well, what do we do now? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I said, I literally said to the agent, I said, said we, we we'd like to do this site, but we we don't really know what we're doing. And he said, well, you might want to put an offer in on you know, the rent was fifteen grand, and he said, you know, might want to offer thirteen and a half possibly, or maybe yeah. twelve. See what um, And you might want to offer, you know, you might want to ask us some rent free, and um, so from that point onwards we started learning about obviously all things property mm-hmm. we always had a fairly good grasp financially so i was fortunate enough in the business that i that i worked for was that they despite the fact it was a a collection of four very independent in style restaurants in bristol um they had a very very good finance function mm-hmm. so i knew i knew my way around the profit and loss um um sort of profit loss and counts and and so therefore, the financial side of things didn't um, necessarily spook us. Mm-hmm. But obviously, you know, you're going to the bank and asking them to lend you some money potentially, and um, that was an interesting experience because you've got nothing really to put on the table other than the fact that we here's our CVs. You can see, you know, yeah. you can see that we sort of know we stand a chance because we know what we're doing. Um, and I guess you, you know, it, it's fascinating because you just you just constantly learning, and and that's still the case now. Mm-hmm. You know, having um, obviously listed on the stock exchange last year that was a, a completely brand new learning curve and experience and i think that's that's one of the reasons why it just, you, you remain really hungry because it's yeah. you just realize that that you know every day's a school day um 
And I think, you know, critically, the, the, the reason why we've been able to sustain the success that we've been, um, we've been lucky enough to enjoy is we've recruited some fantastic people. Mm-hmm. Um, and those people have come in and totally bought into what we do from the culture perspective. And I guess we've been pretty good, I think, at, at letting go mm-hmm. um, and, and allowing people to flourish within the, within the organization. Yeah. Um, and, you know, by infecting as many people as you can who can really impact on what happens um, on a day-to-day basis in a lounge or a cozy club, mm-hmm. you, stand a, you, know, you stand a chance of, 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 of sustained success. And I think, you know, we've got, you know, we always talk about lounges being like a sort of bus. It's sort of, you know, you, we're just driving around this country in this sort of knackered old bus and more, more and more people get on and they, yeah. join, they join this sort of, this, this completely mad journey that we're going on. <laughs> um, but it, it feels like we, you know, culturally we've got, we've got a, you know, a, a group, a really, really strong group of operators, you know, in, in Nick, a f- fantastic CEO, yeah. obviously joined the business as, as an FD, mm-hmm. and Justin and, and Amber who are lounge and cozy club MDs, two mm-hmm. brilliant leaders of the brands with a fantastic ops team below them. Um, and, you know, Jake and I are sort of there you know, still around, still impacting, you know, where we feel we can or where's appropriate. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, you know, the day-to-day management and the attrition of the business is being, is being um, headed up by, by other very talented people. Yeah. Justin's great. In, in fact, he, when we started Spectacular uh, back a while ago, he was the first person to take us on. Yeah, he, so he's, I, was I really mean, good. you know, JC was, uh, he was also at Fuller's at the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, we were talking about succession planning and this idea that Nick would step up to COO and effectively shadow me for a year mm-hmm. before he stepped up to become chief exec. And we realized that actually uh, we created the COO role almost to sort of just facilitate that, that transition. Yeah. But then we realized that actually it was really important and we needed to fill the COO role with, with, with someone else. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember having a conversation at a board meeting and, and someone sort of said, well, do we know anybody? And I said, there's one person I would love to have a conversation with. I think it's very unlikely that he would potentially leave his current position, yeah. but you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to die wondering. So I literally just picked up the phone and said, Justin, would you like to join lounges? <laughs> um, and, and to my um, great, great surprise, he sort of, he, he sort of, as Justin did, he sort of paused and he said, oh, I'm going to think about that. Yeah. Um, and you know, it was for us. It was we, we've got such strength and depth, and mm. and um, we need it. You know, we're opening twenty five sites a year, which in its own um, in its own right, in any business, is is an incredible uh, achievement and mm. an incredible and could be an incredible distraction. Yeah, um, we've got that going on, and that very much is is part of the sort of background noise of the, of the business. You know, but we're always constantly obsessed about innovating and evolving what we do mm-hmm. and we're restless and never accept that we've made it yeah um so there's always this sense and this a degree of paranoia that you know if we don't if we do if we don't have that kind of energy in the business and we're not constantly looking at everything from a sort of very much a glass half empty mm-hmm. uh, perspective there's a danger of complacency setting in and then there's a danger that the, the business uh starts to decay and ultimately die which has been you know i think the 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 number one reason why lots of brands have gone to the wall is because they've they've compromised away the things that made their business special in the first place yeah and you know a lot of people sort of 
look at any business as it scales up and think, well, as it gets bigger, it surely can't be as good Mm -hmm. and it surely can't have a stronger culture. And I just think that's an excuse. Yeah. You know, I I believe that you have to work harder. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, you know, by doing that, you can have better culture. Yeah. You know, you can have something which, you know, ultimately feels as if uh, it, it has real purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some great brands out there that are very, very big. Yep. You know, with great culture. Um, so Sitting with a prep cup at the moment. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, in order for us to do that, we need a very, we need a very, very talented squad. Mm. And we, we've certainly got that. And, it, and it's it's a... You know, it's a massive part of our success. So on the culture side, what are, if you can share them, the internal values and, you know, what drives you? How do you get everyone to be sort of like-minded rather than robots? It, it's, you know, I think the interesting challenge is, is, is the, you know, is the potential disconnect that can happen between a head office and, and actually what happens in the, in, the, in the sites on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis. So, uh, you know, our, our kind of sector is always great in, you know, you rent, when you have to get an office and you normally sort of think it's a bit of a weird concept, yeah. you normally rent really crap office space and cram yourselves in and and, um, and then you outgrow that and you have to move and so on and so forth. And um, I think we've always felt that any decision that we make sat around a table, perhaps with some numbers or something on a screen, yeah. um, has to always be uh, taken in consideration. And first and foremost, the decision has to be uh, what impact is that going to have on our culture? And actually, what does this mean to our people? And what does this mean to our customers? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so we always refocus back on what's actually uh, what what actually is going to happen at site level, what it's going to mean, and what potential impact it's going to have. And mm-hmm. and I think uh, as a consequence, there's a you know, whilst we are a big business, we we have a very small business mentality, you know, and um, you know, we we still obsess about really really little things. Yeah. Um, and we are information obsessive. You know, we 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 want to know, um, not numbers. We want to know. You know, every single site that we have uh, uh, basically sends off a shift report, um, which is split into AM and PM. Sort of, well, it splits at four o'clock, but yep. includes all the sort of usual um, guff you'd expect. But most importantly, includes a blog of, of what's happened that day. It allows us to get a real insight into, you know, how we're doing, mm-hmm. what's happened anything that might have gone wrong, anything that makes your sort of heart sing because it's a wonderful story. Yeah. Um, you can really feel success or you can feel struggles yeah. through that, 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 that form of reporting. And, and that is something which, you know, is read by um, a senior relevant person in the organization every day. Yeah. Um, and that helps us, I guess, um, keep it, keep it, keep it, keep it a check on what's happening out there. But then in terms of culture, it's, it's, um, you know, cultures, I, I always think uh, people sort of, they think culture should be a formula. Yeah. You know, they, they, they you know, we talk about community a lot in our organization. Mm-hmm. So we want our community, we want to be part of the community. We mm-hmm. want our GM to walk down the high street of um, where their lounge is located. Mm-hmm. And we want people to say hello because they know them because they're the gm that that runs the lounge which they all use and um, probably feel some affinity to because it feels indie exactly as well yeah and you know, it's his and, place or her place and and we you know we've always you know i always say to gms whenever i have a conversation with them and you know i'll ask a question i'll say you know has anyone ever asked you this is your place because mm-hmm. that to me it still happens yeah 
even yeah. now, even with a big business that we have, that's that to me is they've made it. Yeah. You know, if someone thinks that they're this, they're so good and they're so in control yeah. and they're so um, clearly able to impact on the business without yeah. uh, in a, in a way that is that is their personality and unique mm-hmm. to them and unique to their particular site, that the that the assumption is that they have to be. It has to be their business. Yeah. That's that's for us is utopia. Yeah, it feels like that in Hove, you know. Um, yeah. Well, I think Glenn's been with us for years, and, oh, and he's just just incredible. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't know his name, but I, I know him. And it was just—I mean, we were at a place across the road for lunch, and I was just starting this new business, uh, Supersonic, and I went out with my wife to do like finance stuff and all that. I'm not very good at that, so <laughs> I like pictures and things. <laughs> so we were sitting. You know, doing all, and we sat waiting twenty minutes in this place across the road, and and also we looked at the menu, and it just was like eighteen quid for a lunch and twenty, quid, and you and it wasn't even that, you know, you think. So anyway, we thought, oh, we'll go across, but we, the reason we didn't go any lunch was it looked busy, and we thought, oh, we'll just go. So we went in, and honestly, there was a crack in the door just as I opened it, you know, just a little. And the welcome came through that tiny, it was open an inch. Yeah. And I could just feel the warmth coming from behind the bar. I can picture it in my head now. Hey, come on in. What, you know, how's it going? What's happening? And I says, oh, well, we'll cross the road. Don't you worry. You sit down. We'll look after you. Did it. And you gave it. We're going to do a bit of work, right? We'll get you a plug point. We'll get you that seat. That one's just going to be available in a minute. Did it. And it just was like, yes. You know, yeah. and it just the warmth was there. Just, and, and you, you know, sometimes if you work in a cafe, place or a bar or you feel a bit on edge and they're watching you and how many coffees are you having and it was like just stay here all day do what you want you yeah. know and it just was like this is wonderful all of a sudden the shoulders just went down and then I could get into a heated argument about <laughs> how much I was spending <laughs> on trainers um, and stuff like that but it just was a master class so but yeah cracking and so what about um, the marketing side of things then so where did the looks, because you quite a distinctive look. I really love the loungers account on Twitter as well. I think that's always quite fun. You know, the the menu style, the, you know, and then, of course, you've got the brand bit as well as the promotional bit. So where did all that come from, start to happen? It just, uh, we were probably quite weak on all of that mm. sort of stuff probably 10 years ago. Um, and, um, you know, we went, we, we used designers in, in, uh, in Bristol that sort of, got us to a certain place and um we we met with a, a design agency and a, a chap called howard who just got our business down to a t yeah. you know and he and he articulated a, about what we do it was I mean, he was the first person that sort of described a land as being democratic you know i've just you know used that ever since because it made so much sense you know mm-hmm. that there is it there is a democracy about what we do yeah um and and actually what we would do with Howard was we, we would have a sort of very rough idea and sort of give it to him. And then this thing that was so good would come back. It made you want to weep because it was just, it was just genius. It's usually um, the other way, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, and yeah, exactly. And I've been in plenty of, uh, you know, prior life sort of um, scenarios where you just go and guys, seriously. Um, and, and I guess we have a lot of fun with it. And it's really important that that personality, um, you know, shines through mm-hmm. and, and, you know, for things like social media, you know, and, and this also helps the, the whole sense of there being some independence and freedom of thought and freedom of expression for each of our individual sites. They all have their own 
Twitter accounts. They all yeah. have their own Facebook page. They all have their own Instagram account. And that is down to them what they do with regards to what they talk about, what they post, the the style of language they use. Clearly, we, we watch what they do because... Yeah, yeah. Um, you you know sometimes something can slip through the net and you're sort of thinking oh, like quick get on the phone but i remember chatting to uh someone we were interviewing as a potential ops manager and she was talking about um the casual dining uh, chain she was she was current at the time was was working for and, and you know we talked about social media and she sort of said well the way it works is each individual site have to submit a post to head office and mm. it has to be approved by head office before they can post it it sort of it, it loses all of its authenticity, um, and and it just becomes a dull, generic, yeah. diluted voice. And 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 you know that's not the way of the world now. People want you know people the authenticity and realness exactly. and yeah yeah. And and also what you find is head office don't have a clue either. No. <laughs> what's no, exactly. right and what's good. You know, you and know. and you know we you know with the work we do with community, uh, you know we do something called lounge aid, which is effectively it's a it's a two month. Um, intensive fundraising um, mm-hmm. sort of period where each individual site basically gets behind a charity that they want to support. So it could be someone locally needs to go to the States for some kind of medical um, procedure out there, which is going to cost tens of thousands of pounds. Yeah. We'll get behind that and we'll get behind the local branch of a national charity if that's appropriate, or we'll just support something very, very, very local. And, and you know, we we give them ideas we don't tell them what to do yeah and actually we we hold up great examples of when people get it really right yeah but we don't sort of do the reverse mm-hmm. so you sort of i guess tap into the sort of sense of oh well we can do that you yeah. know a little bit of competition um and and all of that you know really cannot be prescribed because the second it becomes prescribed it yeah. loses all of its authenticity you can sniff it yeah you know and i think that's you know it, it's 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 one of the things that we focus on in a way that you know we make sure that people recognize and realize that they 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 have the ability to express their personality yeah. um and they can do that in a number of ways you know in the case in Glynn and Modelo he expresses it through the loudness of his shirts yeah <laughs> um but uh he also you know like any other good gm will get behind um you know, local charity will get, will support local businesses, will, you know, genuinely not take their place for granted on the high street, Yeah. you know, which I think, um, you know, lots of um, bigger brands will literally just open on the high street. They don't really give a monkey's about anyone else that's on there. All they, all they care about is levels of sales, levels of, levels of EBITDA. Yeah. You know, we want there to be a sort of a, a sense of legacy about what we do. Yeah. You know, we want people to feel really proud of the, of, of you know their their lounge and their contribution to the local area. Yeah, I, I think it's a smart plan, and that almost de-branded, what would you call it, a confederated state or whatever. You know, I think you know there. It's just such a smart move now. I mean, a long time ago, it might not have. Us, you know, people probably asked you the question loads, saying, "Well, loungers isn't getting the credit for this in a brand sense." And yeah, well, what are you I, doing? You I know? remember having a conversation with someone in. I think it was 2007, and um, he just couldn't get his head around why we called each land an individual name. Mm. He, he just thought there was such a lost opportunity. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, our view had always been, you know, a brand doesn't have to be a name. Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't, it, it can be a movement. It can be, um, 
it could be something that people connect with on a level that is subconscious it doesn't have to be rammed in their face yeah you know and i think we've always you know been conscious of the fact that as the business gets bigger obviously more and more people figure out that there's more than one or there's yeah. more than just three in their local town mm-hmm. um and you know you're always concerned about how that might change perception because people might feel they've been tricked or yeah. but actually what we get is a lot of people that will will love to seek out a lounge if they're in a particular location mm-hmm. and and they they give us a lot of i guess a lot of credit for the fact that we've been able to build something so big but that feels so little yeah well, it definitely feels one-to-one. I mean, that's for sure. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Fourth. Fourth is the leading hospitality workforce, inventory, and analytics provider. Fourth effectively manages your employees' journey using its integrated workforce management system. Fourth also improves your organisational efficiency by streamlining and managing all of your purchasing and inventory. And Fourth Analytics gives you instant insight to make better business decisions all from your phone, tablet or your computer. Transform your hospitality business today. Go to Fourth.com now. Thinking about Cozy Club then, I mean obviously you've got your latest baby that's just opened which yeah. looks like the, a the, cathedral the, the beast yeah gee i mean where is it again nottingham oh, yeah. it looks it's, it's it, world yeah it's sensational um it was an old um gents club um uh-huh. and and had been empty for uh 14 years mm-hmm. but literally they'd obviously decided to close overnight so when i look around it you know you went into the office and there was still piles of invoices and computer screens sort of half a meter deep and then the restaurant was fully laid white tablecloths um all the crockery all the glassware and we went into the kitchen it was really poignant i took a photograph of it because it was sort of um it was it was like a proper suspended in time moment yeah they'd obviously um the the kp had obviously finished for the night and they cleared the last table after the kp had left Mm -hmm. so on the side of the wash up was uh a coffee cup where obviously the coffee had all evaporated and an ashtray with a stubbed out cigarette in it. <laughs> and it obviously just sat there for 15 years. 15 years? What? And you sort of, or 14 years, I think it was. And, and you sort of, it was, you know, you had a sort of sense of, you know, this is quite... What happened? Yeah. yeah. How everyone basically overnight just, just probably turned up for work the following day and the doors were locked and that was that. Oh my God. But it is a beautiful building. Oh, I mean, it is it's an absolute... Crackerjack, and yeah. it's a it's a big old space. We've got lots of private areas. Um, it's the most ambitious thing we've ever done, mm-hmm. um, and it's been hugely exciting. And, and you know, it, it's great to see it trading, and it's trading, um, thankfully, Touchwood really, yeah. really well. Um, and it, it, it's interesting because people often quiz us about the relevance of Cozy Club. You mm-hmm. know, given that you know we could open hundreds more lounges in the uk and we could just fill our boots doing that yeah um but it, it's really important we believe to have a second brand uh, we express our we express the same culture mm-hmm. but in a different way yeah it, it's amplified in a different way and it gives us um more opportunity but but i think critically having two brands uh helps us constantly get better yeah because you sort of learn off each of the yeah. each of the brands they 
they do things slightly differently and that that i think keeps everything very 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 fresh yeah whereas i think there's a re- real danger if you're just doing the same thing day in day out you can easily become stale yeah. and potentially a little bit blinkered to um you know what's actually working and what's not and potentially complacent uh, complacency well, yeah exactly from the handle and what so when did cozy club come about cuz i mean face and facts is probably one of a couple of sub brands joint brands you know however you want to say it that are working out there yeah it's quite incredible so we launched in 2010 um we had our first one in taunton mm-hmm. and it was sort of driven by the fact that uh we had some i think some just some underlying concern about uh in sort of city center locations and um sort of market town mm-hmm. locations the, the sort of, you know, our, our feel was the customer might, a bit like we had with Reading, the phenomenon where they just wouldn't get what we, and they wouldn't want what we did. Yeah. They wouldn't want the informality. They wanted a degree more structure around how they used used us, be it for drinks or for, or for dining. Mm-hmm. So we sort of had talked about, you know, do we, do we have a sort of, I guess, a hybrid of a lounge that is a bit more structured in that respect to deal with those kind of locations? And it just felt a bit awkward yeah so we thought it was better that we we if we we're going to do that we did it um uh basically in a in a in a, in a under the banner of a new brand yeah. and we looked at different kinds of buildings that we wouldn't historically or naturally look at for a lounge and in taunton we had um uh, we're in a former victorian arts college mm-hmm. and it's an, it's an amazing building and we sort of looked and thought god it'd be great to do something in this um <laughs> And and that sort of I guess accelerated our thinking on it, and um, we launched that, and and then we we opened in um, Southgate Shopping Centre in Bath the following year, and mm-hmm. that was really the catalyst for us actually realising what we needed to sort of I guess finesse and 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 the fact that we needed to divulge even further away from what we were doing with the lounge, yeah. um, and you know they have a real part to play. You know we're obviously going into uh, more 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 sort of regularly very very competitive locations yeah. um and you know you're you're in a, in a sort of environment where there could be huge le- levels of footfall but a lot of competition um and i guess you know we want to be in that kind of arena we want to be the best mm-hmm. you know we, um we don't want to be um just another faceless you know sort of chain on the high street we want there to be something that's that is a bit different and a bit more interesting about what we do um so nottingham was the 29th cozy club um so as as a you know as a business within a business it's it's, it's got quite big um, it's huge it's huge um and we've got some you know absolutely brilliant sites yeah and a and a great slightly different culture mm-hmm. but you know everyone basically feeds off the mothership yeah um and we allow that to you know to you know manifest and ex- and 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 sort of um i guess um we incubate that separately and very much sort of allow allow you know the people that are running that business to continue driving the you know an, a more differentiated approach to to I guess you know for want of a better phrase casual dining. So how would you explain the culture difference then? Is it one is more casual and one's more for or what? How would you? Yeah, describe? I it, it, um, I mean obviously a lounge is it's all about the informality mm. and it's it's all about. You know, it's interesting to hear you describe Modelo because it, it's a lounge should just cuddle you when you walk in. Yeah, yeah. You should feel instantly at ease. Yeah. 
you know and and um and i think from a design perspective we we, we really nail that you know because we create environments that feel warm mm -hmm. and friendly but then clearly you've got to populate them with people that get that yeah and resonate that um with the cozy club there's there's more of a, so, a more of a sense of occasion right. so you you want to walk into a cozy and just go wow yeah, yeah. but not in a oh i'm really intimidated now because this is really grand yeah so warmth of hospitality clearly is extremely key but there are sort of more facets to a cozy club you know we major more on things like cocktails obviously the the, the menu is um is more formalized in terms of yeah. it's it's seated it, you can make reservations it's really good for parties yeah so it's some way you know you go to be seen i guess whereas um you know you go to a lounge because you just sort of do yeah you know? um you know you you, you wouldn't every day. you sort of don't have to worry about what you're wearing to go yeah, to a lounge. yeah come as you are i was going to see yeah, yeah. whereas a cozy you, you perhaps might think about oh, i might put on a nice pair yeah. of trousers um it's special it, yeah. it, it's got that sort of more of a sense of occasion but then you know it serves uh a, a real purpose in in a in a busy shopping center environment where you've got people who are looking for uh a, a, you know and an, a sort of meal experience mm -hmm. and we're just very differentiated to a lot of the other offers and, and that attracts people because um they find what we do more interesting and yeah. more, more stimulating. I've got my own uh, corn exchange one because I might be helping someone close by. Right, so okay. I've always got one eye on it. Yeah. Thinking, how's it doing? You know, seeing if it's busier than we are. <laughs> <laughs> can't see, can't see if it is or no. not. Um, right, well, I was going to sort of think about your time as well because you probably need to go. So thinking about what's next, what's next on the horizon for you because I guess you're in this chairman role now maybe a little bit more hands off advisory potentially um, so what, what's, what does it look like for you the next it's, few years? It, it, well it's exciting I mean I, I, you know technically speaking I, I do three days a week for landers although given what we went through last year mm. it was very full on obviously listing the business on the stock exchange and the whole process around that and then effectively catching up on everything that almost had to be sort of just iced for a, a few months because everything was, you know, very, very sort of focused on getting the IPO away. Um, and I've got one other non-exec chair role with a business called Hubbox, which is based out of Cornwall. Okay. Um, so that's a sort of, um, uh, it's a burger and barbecue business, which heralds from St. Ives, mm -hmm. where um, Richard, who, who's the founder, he, he founded it in 2003. So it's had a long history. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's got, uh, we're up to eight sites uh, with that particular business, um, just three in Cornwall, mm -hmm. um, a couple in Devon, um, one in Taunton, one in Bristol, one in Gunwolf Keys in Portsmouth, and it's oh, opening yeah. in um, Mermaid Key in Cardiff, and uh, we're relocating the site in Plymouth. Um, Mumbles? Uh, Mumbles would be nice, but uh, <laughs> yeah, th there's no opportunity there, unfortunately. But it's, um, uh, it, and it's... Uh, it's a great business and and actually what is really interesting about um about the culture of that business is it's very very focused on um uh, on sustainability it's very mm -hmm. very keen to express you know where the meat comes from um you know where the baker uh makes the sourdough buns yeah. and there's a real sense of you know it being um, it majors massively on cornish produce mm -hmm. so it's sort of Effectively, it's selling you the the, the sort of Cornish dream, yeah, um, or yeah. reminding you of you know why we all love Cornwall so much, yeah. um, as well as doing fantastic food and great craft beer, um, and it's been brilliant. I've really enjoyed it, and it, it's great 
seeing how we can grow the business and 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 ultimately how you know I can help Richard you know realize some value out of what he's built and what he's been running yeah. um for you know for the last 17 years whether I do another one I've had approaches about being involved in in you know chairing businesses in other sectors I think the interesting thing is you know having looked at that whilst it would be interesting because it's mm. different I love hospitality you know and I I it's sort of it, difficult it's what gets it? me out of bed in the morning yeah. and you know, so um, for me, I think I would only ever look at something that was in the, in the sector, yeah. um, just because it, it's something that I understand, but I also just really enjoy. Yeah, I, I think you know definitely the same. I mean, I've only been in it, I guess, ten years before that. You know, last minute dot com and Bartley card and stuff. And once you got into hospitality, you were just like lovely people. Yeah. You know, surprisingly so. You know, not really. They want to make people happy and they want to make yeah. people feel welcome. And, and, and you know, your so competitors aren't your competitors, no, which is weird. The, the fraternity is amazing. Yeah. You know, they're, you know, they're, we are such a great sector for um, information sharing, mm-hmm. for camaraderie, for, you know, enjoying each other's company, yeah. you know, and, 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 you know, sharing our war stories and, um, and being very honest with each other. Yeah. You know, I think it makes me smile because I think probably the notable exceptions of that is probably Weatherspoons, who just nobody really knows how Weatherspoons works. It's, it's the most amazing organisation. Yeah. Um, and we all look at it with absolute intrigue. Oh, you know? yeah. um, and, but uh, you know, I remember sort of thinking to myself, you know, if Weatherspoons was a country, it'd be North Korea. <laughs> you just wouldn't, you wouldn't know anything about it. Um, um, but it's... Um, his yeah. haircut's a bit better than that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Not much. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's um, it's 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 an it, it it's an addictive um, place to you know and sector to work in. Yeah. Clearly, it's very hard work, but what you tend to find is that everyone that you generally mix with and get on really well with works really hard, yeah. and they enjoy that you know working hard. Did you not fancy the old million pound menu? I was I was offered the opportunity, uh-huh. um, but I was conscious of the fact that we were going to be IPOing, right? And I just thought, hmm, it, looks like you're dicking about a bit. Yeah, it, it, exactly. <laughs> it probably wouldn't be the right thing to do. So it, it was it was it was very tempting. Yeah, um, primarily because obviously the people involved, you know, I, I knew 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 most of them really well. Yeah. Um, it was it, funny seeing people you know really well like on telly it yeah was like this is weird. oh c-mac loved it he, yeah. he, he, was, he was completely <laughs> oh, yeah. in his element it was it was it was brilliant uh, yeah he's he's got a, he's got a long in fact i've got him in my phone as tv's charlie mcveigh <laughs> like, yeah. did, did you ask his autograph yeah, you? yeah 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 he's, yeah he's seen my chest <laughs> <laughs> um so last couple of things then um just before you go was a wee segment called market of 10 so you're well travelled, right? So best city to eat in? I thought long and hard about this. Mm. I, I think it, it's got to be London. Yep. I just think um, you know that there's there's every year there's always something that opens up which which really grabs your attention. Yeah. Um, but it's also a really good city for you know sort of proper what I would call proper restaurants. You know, mm-hmm. so like River Cafe for me is just yeah. is just heaven sent. Um, you know, it's just somewhere you go and just have the most consistent, wonderful experience in in a in a dining room that is just a, now just a brilliant homage to the eighties. Yeah. Um, and you know, you marry that up alongside you know some really really good casual dining brands that that are that are London based or have held from London. You know, saucy people like Hawksmoor who are going to yeah. be opening in New York fairly soon, which makes us all feel immensely proud. Yeah. And really excited for for. Um, you know, for Will um, and and Hugh, it'll be it'll be amazing to see mm. um, 
a, a British brand on a on a you know not just on a, any old American high street, yeah. but in the, the Big Apple. Um, you've got brands like Caravan, which I've got an awful yeah. lot of time for. But then you've got brilliant restaurants like the Lebri, um, Cora Pearl. I think it's a brilliant restaurant. Yeah. Brigadiers. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and you know, so it's just a, it's just a brilliant city, and I I, I love coming to London um, generally for a good lunch. I, I, yeah. I've always got a always got time for that. Where are you living now? Are you? I live just uh, down in Somerset, just, oh, uh, yeah. just right. outside of Wells. Okay. So obviously, we're HQ in Bristol. It's about three quarters of an hour in, in from there. Not too bad. Best restaurant then is it River Cafe or is there another that you hold oh, dear? River Cafe, yeah, I've got a lot of time for. Um, I love a restaurant um, in Dea in Mallorca called uh, Restaurant Sebastian, okay. which is just a, uh, a it's a very happy place when you go there. Um, and there's a, a restaurant we go to every year. So Dave, uh, obviously one of the co-founders, when he sold his steak um, in 2012, mm-hmm. he, he ended up uh, moving down to the south of France. So uh, Jake and I, and actually Stephen now from, from Faux, um, we go out there every September for what we call lunch, dinner, lunch. Okay. Um, and it is just that. Yeah. So we fly out in the morning, we go for lunch, we then power through, go for dinner, and then go and rest our weary head for a couple of hours and go out for lunch and then fly back. Great. And and Dave uh, was living in a uh, town called Saint-Paul-de-Vence where there's a restaurant called The Column Door, which is just, it, it is the most reassuringly, spectacularly average food. <laughs> but as restaurant experiences go, mm-hmm. it, it is the most complete experience, and it's one of those restaurants that you go into and just feel the butterflies. Oh, uh, that's cool! Of anticipation. I've not had that for a while. Yeah, yeah, the most beautiful, beautiful terrace Lovely. that is always full. And then if if it's raining, the most beautiful dining room, Great. which is just um, um, walls covered in um, Picassos and mirrors because they all stayed there in the 1930s and paid for their board in in, in art. Sure. Um, wow. And it, it, it's you know it, it's proper service you know it's what I would call a proper restaurant experience. So whilst the food, like I say, uh, is not something you'd ever get overly excited about, it's it for me it's a complete experience. Yeah, and that's what it should be for sure. Um, so is that best restaurant? I think if if you know if it was a sort of if you had to take one to a desert island, yeah, I think I'd probably take that, that experience. Drinks. Drink is interesting. I had. The most amazing passion fruit mojitos uh, at a place called Bed Space in Gaul in Sri Lanka. Uh-huh. Which, I mean, I love drink. Clearly, I'm in, I'm, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in the right sector for it. But it, and and so you know, wine's a big thing for me. I love my gins. You know, I love beer. I love, there's not much I don't like. Yeah, but yeah. I remember whether it was my frame of mind. But I remember just powering my way through sort of six of them over dinner and just sort of thinking, this is just the best thing I've drank in years. Oh, really? Um, not too sweet, not oversweet. Or it anything? was just, it was just perfect. Oh, yeah. That's cool. Let me check that one out. Best dish. What's the, so we thing went, that you crave? Uh, we went to, um, Toronto this, uh, summer just gone, which, uh, we spent Canada for three weeks, but we spent a few days in, in Toronto. Fab city, right? It's brilliant yeah. city. I mean, I've been, before, but not for about not for about fifteen years, mm-hmm. and I love the neighbourhoods in Toronto. I, there's just something really exciting about about you know their neighbourhood eateries. Yeah. And we went to a, a fantastic restaurant called Union, which is the kind of restaurant if it was on your in your neighbourhood, you just eat there every day. <laughs> um, and they did the most spectacular elk sliders, and they were just with almost like this maple syrup glaze and. Um, it was just, it was the kind of food that just made you want to weep. It was just so delicious. Uh, and I find myself thinking about them a lot. Um, that sounds great. Which is slightly annoying because you just can't, 
easily going. Um, Seven hours, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, okay, and then worst restaurant or restaurant experience you had one lately that, as an operator, you're surely sitting looking at stuff, or can you relax? I wouldn't. I wouldn't do anyone the disservice of throwing them under the bus. <laughs> Damn it. But I have had. I do think. Um, some of the sort of, you know, the high street chains just serve an awful lot of overpriced crap mm. um, and then still scratch their heads and wonder why their their business is in trouble. I think, you know, it's it's astonishing to see how much the aspiration of the UK customer has, has just moved on in the mm. last even five years. But certainly if you look back in the last 20. Oh, yeah. Um, you know we're we're a really interesting country in that respect. We don't have any particular uh, loyalty to, towards any particular type of cuisine, mm-hmm. any particular kind of drink. So I think anything that that really succeeds in the UK does so purely on merit. You know, there's no there's no sort of domestic um, sense of we have to enjoy this particular food because this is British. Yeah, and it makes almost quite the opposite. Yeah, it is, and it, it makes I think it makes our country. Uh, really interesting food and drink um scene you know uh, it gets still gets talked down a lot but you know it's just and london is uh, you know and manchester mm. and now birmingham birmingham's you know, going to just explode isn't yeah it? well birmingham just you know it's always just been fairly comfortable in its own skin yeah. and bristol i mean bristol's got some fantastic independent yeah. restaurants it's a um, bit of a crap brighton isn't it <laughs> <laughs> It gets compared a lot to Brighton. It's, it's, it's strange. There's, it's a, there's sort of, a weird rivalry. Yeah. There's actually a weird rivalry. Because I actually it. think the cities are very different. Yeah, oh, um, for sure. But I think it's, no, we're more creative and cool. No, we're more creative yeah. and cool. There's just that. We've got more of, vegans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. it's when vegan so, count, fair, isn't you, it? you have got a green MP. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> that, yeah, Bristol's missed the boat there. But, um, yeah, and yeah. I, I say... I, um, I do think it, and it makes obviously our job, you know, brilliantly challenging because you're mm. constantly having to sort of think, well, that that needs to improve, uh, and and regrettably some of the brands that that, that are sort of, um, you know, are, are still struggling, and, and it's difficult to see how they're going to do anything other than struggle unless they realise that actually, what they're serving is just no longer relevant, yeah. and it, and a lot of it is is, is horribly priced. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really tough. I mean, it, get these calls all the time, and I think it is, you know wanting to try and market your way out of it rather than fix the actual problem yeah you know which is you know lipstick on a pig or uh, very much a so. plaster on a terminal patient so yeah it's really it's really tough it's really tough but listen i better let you go um but thanks so much for spending time with Absolute me pleasure. and traveling so far to come and see me as well and yeah just wishing you all the luck in the world you know you've done a wonderful thing and yeah, everyone's still scratching their head on yeah. how, but hopefully people will have learned something about the yeah, business. Very kind of you to say. Take some tips, but no, I'm, I'm really pleased for you and, and, and for everyone involved in it, so thanks so much. Yeah, pleasure. So there you go. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Thank you so much to our headline partners, Engage Interactive from Leeds. They, to me, are the best web agency around. I've launched a couple of very successful projects with them. And they're really worth talking to if you need anything doing from the social side, website, SEO, PPC, CRM, apps. They're really the guys to talk to. Working with amazing brands like Arc Inspirations, Taylor's, Yorkshire Tea, all different things. So definitely try and talk to Engage if you can. Huge thanks also to our premium partner, BDO, who've supported us all the way since Series 1. If you've got any accounting queries, 
mergers and acquisitions advice, growth of your business advice, do give them a call. Thanks also to you for listening, sharing, rating and reviewing as usual. Really appreciate it. And thanks to everyone who's stuck with us in Series 1 and is continuing to spread the good word about Series 2. Thanks to Gaz and Gabby for all of their hard work in putting the podcast together. I know it's a rush most weeks, but I really, really appreciate all that you're doing. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off. Bless you for listening. Thank you for taking the time to check me out and check out the podcast. I really hope that this episode, more than ever, has helped you gain some real value and insight that will help your brand boom. Boom.